Welcome to the Game Deflators Podcast, episode 35. My name is John. I'm joined by Ryan, and there are no surprise mechanics in this podcast episode. Ryan, take it off. So here at the Game Deflators Podcast, we don't like to surprise you. We like to hit you each and every week with the games we're currently playing, the games we've recently picked up, and swinging at you from off screen, we're doing a whole spider month of inflation deflation challenges, folks. So uh, that game we played today? I'll have to say I have mixed feelings on uh, this week's Spider game. I don't even think the real Spider-Man could save this one, folks. I don't think so either. So let's go ahead and get started with our general weekly pickups. Uh, Ryan, did you pick up anything this week? So this week, I finally was able to get my hands on Bloodstained for the Switch, and what a mistake that was. So apparently it is the worst... Of all the releases, the PC version and the PS4 version are supposed to be really good, really good looking. And kind of off the bat, I noticed that, man, it's hard to tell sometimes where you got to jump to. And it does feel sluggish. They are aware of the issues and they are going to try to optimize and release some updates. So I'm hoping that that just gets kind of patched out. But that's all I got this week. What about you, John? So I did a little bit of yard sales. We are still looking for things to improve our kitchen. And uh, while out on some yard sales, I found a Shadowgate arcade stick for the PS2. Uh, pretty much brand new. The only thing is it's been sitting in a garage like within the box itself. So the box is kind of dusty, but dude, the stick is still wrapped in plastic, styrofoam, tape, everything you can think of is tied in on this. So it was pretty cool. And then something I had never seen before, even in all my years of working in a game shop, uh, I found a PS1 dual fight stick. It's the weirdest thing. So you have like two handles for like fight stick arcade handles. And then, well, they or look like, or like, like flight sticks, really. Flight sticks, yeah, yeah. So it's like flight sticks, basically. So yeah, I guess it's a flight stick setup. So you have two of them, then you have buttons in the middle. So I have no idea what this thing would go to. Almost Maybe kind of like combat. some mech combat game. Like what was that yeah. crazy mech game that they released that had the giant, you know, controller set up with the pedals and stuff. Dude, I don't even remember. Steel Battalion, I, I think know. it was. Oh, I get you. I think that was on uh, Xbox, if I'm correct. Yeah. So um, there is like Ace Combat and stuff mm -hmm. on the PS1. So I need to test it out and see if it even works. It looks good. I mean, it's not faded at all. Um, honestly, just looks like it's been stored in a garage for the last, you know, 15 years. And these were at the same garage? Same garage sale, dude. It was crazy. So we ended up actually finding some stuff for the kitchen, too. But it was the last garage sale of the day. We're like, all right, let's just check out this one. It's, you know, right around the corner. We'll, we'll give it a shot. It looks like they have a few things. And no video games whatsoever. There's some old computer sticking out. Corner of my eye, I just see the gray and, and the sticks. I'm like, that looks like PlayStation. So walked on over and we saw that. I initially was just inquiring on that. And uh, last moment, I look over and, of course, the uh, Shadowgate stick is there, too. But I got both of those along with the um, the little bucket for flour that we picked up for the kitchen for 18 bucks. Good deal. Yeah, not bad at all, man. So it was pretty good. So is that something that you're actually like, you're a games collector, not necessarily a weird hardware collector. So is that something that you're actually looking to hang on to? No, honestly, it's way too bulky. Um, what I'll probably end up doing with that, uh, I want to get one of those one-up arcade machines. So I'll probably, you know, end up selling that um, locally. And, you know, I've always got the whole thought process for me on selling something is if I'm going to sell it local... I sell it well below what it's going to go for online. So if it's averaging, you know, 20 bucks online, I'm going to sell it for like 15 because I factor into shipping. You're just trying and all to turn some kind of profit. Yeah, just a little bit. And, you know, I'm not trying to rip somebody off with the overall price point. Um, you know, I got to make a little bit back and obviously make it worthwhile to even, you know, sell this thing. And yeah, it sucks. You know, I, I hate selling things consistently, but it's one of the ways to be able to feed you know, to gaming the habit. habit. Yeah. And pick up other titles. So, you know, it's one thing if I'm going on every single game, I'm flipping them. I mean, I've got a pretty extensive collection, so, um, it really does go back into the collection and what we play. Mm -hmm. So, and hopefully down the road, it can go towards uh, cool giveaways and stuff for our podcast episodes. There we go. So we'll see about that. Um, uh, well, I'll subscribe into... and follow us on social media. If you want to hear more about potential stuff, John wants to give away in the future. 
Potentially. We'll see. And actually, for subscriptions on uh, all of our different social media and uh, podcast episodes, wherever you're listening to this, within the description, you should see hyperlinks that'll take you to our YouTube, our Instagram, our Twitter, and our Facebook page. So check those out. Yeah, leave us comments. uh, Give us some reviews. You know, all that good stuff. Only good reviews. We don't want anything below five stars. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'll go into what I'm currently playing. I'm still playing Sukunin 2. Surprise, surprise. Oh, big RPG. Still playing. Dude, I'm actually not as far as I would like to. So we've had a lot of stuff going on in the house um, the last week and a half, cabinets and everything else. And um, I just, you know, I've had to put on the back burner. So I started a little bit yesterday, got through a scene that I needed to get through to progress. And uh, I've gone ahead and got my party set up. And now I'm on my way to the next town that I need to get to. So I'm on my way to, you know, continuing i think i'm about 14 hours into the game right now not too much further than where i where i was last week but it's still good i mean uh, i'm pretty excited about it and uh, i'm gonna keep playing until i beat it just been a super busy week just How keep about pushing you? yeah uh so i haven't really played very much more zone of the enders i played a ton more hollow knight and i think i've gotten pretty far in that game i've gotten i think all but one or two areas I've got a whole bunch of items and stuff. I found the arena, and that's kind of what stopped me last time because I was able to get through the first arena. It probably took me like five or six tries, but this second arena I've been just bashing my head against, and there's these really strong enemies that I just don't really quite understand how the best way to kill them is, and I think I just need to go away from that a bit. That's the thing. I've heard a lot of people talking about Especially because I played a little bit of Bloodstained 2. You know, this whole idea of Metroidvanias and backtracking and what good backtracking is like. And I feel like I've done a lot of traveling in Hollow Knight. Going back and forth to here to there. And the traveling is pretty efficient. You're not ever really too far away from uh, like a transportation station that'll take you to any of the other ones on the map. That makes it easy to get around, and it always has something to do when I go backtracking. I always have a new skill, or I always have something like, oh, let me go check this dead end that I couldn't get through earlier. Most of the time, like 90% of the time, I find something new that I can get at so that I don't feel like I'm wasting my time when I go to different areas. And a lot of it feels pretty optional, and I feel very rewarded for doing it, especially I found out that... um, dream nail that i had gotten when i sequence broke last week Uh, i've been doing a lot of stuff now instead of waiting until i got that later on that's going to save me even more of that backtracking so i'm thankful for that yeah definitely a a game i want to play as well dude Uh, i picked it up what three four weeks ago and haven't touched it uh you still playing your uh zoe yeah, a little bit. yeah, a little bit. I just I got sucked into Hollow Knight. Like I said, this game just it doesn't have me as much as I had hoped it would. So I've been trying to fit it in here and there when I got like a great opportunity to bust out my Game Boy. But I might have to just sit down and push through it and just get it over and done with soon because I've just I'm tired of talking about it. I've been talking about this goddamn game for weeks and weeks and weeks now, and it feels like I haven't gotten anywhere. So I just I think I need to just push through that second half of it and get it over with. So is it just not really that great of a game? I mean, obviously, it's not sucking you in. So no. Well, that's the thing. I have such fond nostalgic memories of playing it that I think it kind of clouds my mind a little bit and the story is not as great as I remember. I kind of talked over these points before. I think I just need to get over it because I still have two more Zone of the Enders games to get through. Luckily, those games aren't really long, man. No, none of them are. Yeah, you should be okay. Like, I'm going to be at Sukaden, honestly, for the next probably a month. I'll be talking about this game. So, uh, heads up to anybody and listening. And that's with good dedication. Yeah, that's with good dedication, too. Um, the game itself, I think I brought up before, it's like 40 hours of gameplay, so it shouldn't be too bad. I just don't know how far into the game I'm, I am right now. Um, I mean, it's 14 hours, but me being me with gaming, I mean, I can take a 40-hour RPG and put 60 hours into it easily. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. I can't well, really gauge my own time. And it's one of those things you and I are both not single game players. Like, you're playing Donkey Kong also right now. You know, I'm juggling two or three games right now. So it's it's hard to really sit down 
And I've kind of just grown accustomed to balancing out a little bit here, a little bit there, especially because I'm not used to beating any games. But I really want to get through Hollow Knight and I have to get through Zone of the Ender. So it's like right now I'm kind of at that point where it's like, all right, put up or shut up. Yeah. And well, the other thing is we're both married. So for us, I mean, we get home from work. I mean, we want to spend time. Well, I mean, you have different hours, but I want to spend time with my wife for a few hours. And as soon as we're done with that, it's like I I'm in the mindset to play games. But there's so many other things like I want to do editing for the podcast and and put things out, you know, some marketing stuff that's out, you know, for our Facebook and increase likes and do all these other fun things. And I just I kind of get sucked away from the gaming sometimes and I'll put maybe an hour and a half into a night. And there's days where I'll seriously after I've done with finished podcast stuff, I'll sit back and like start falling asleep at 930 playing a game. I can get up go do like a whole bunch of other stuff of no issue, not be tired, sit back down. It's just that whole idea of like sitting on my couch trying to play a game and I just knock out, dude. Yeah, sometimes gaming can be too relaxing and you're just, you don't have the energy that it takes. So, you know, hey, if you're out there, play yourself some games, Sit, set some time aside to do it because life's too busy, you know, and if you're listening to us, I'm sure you're making some time. Yeah, I would assume so. Well, um, and if you can't make time, listen to more podcasts. Exactly. And give us five star reviews. So let's jump into some of our news, man, in terms of uh, relaxing. Uh, people like to relax at the mall, right? And apparently malls are starting to get, you know, a little more engaged with the video game community. So we got an article here. We'll link it down below. Uh, CNN's Shannon Liao. And A.J. Willingham contributed this report, and it talks about how malls in America are basically dying. If you live near a mall and you've spent any time there recently, like our lovely malls here in Arizona, we've got malls that are totally shut down, and we have malls that are like all the major department stores are leaving them. So they're putting in all kinds of weird stuff. We know somebody who worked at an aquarium at a mall. They got a big Lego thing at a mall. They got a big Crayola thing that just opened up at a mall. Malls have all this space. Nobody's going to buy a mall from you now. So they're like, okay, we got to fill these with things. And they're turning to the idea of esports lounges and barcades. And actually, one of the malls out um, in the east area here opened up. It was a VR uh, yeah, place. I like saw that just, too. You just straight up, it's like 20 bucks. A, I think it's like 20 bucks every like 15 minutes. It's the dumbest price point I've ever seen for VR. But people pay it, dude. Like they go and they want to play VR. Like their kids want to get a VR experience. And rather than putting up 300 bucks, it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, take you to VR once a month or something. Hey, just pump pump all the plasma out of those kids like I'm doing. You get your <laughs> VR in a month. Yeah, so... Uh, one of the things that I read in that article that's really interesting is that, yeah, malls are closing up tons of places and they're starting to bring in more of these, you know, niche type of markets. So you have like axe throwing, escape rooms, uh, barcades, to your point. I've seen VR lounges. Um, we've seen gaming lounges in general. It actually makes me wonder if like arcades are going to start coming back as well. Like we've got a few arcades out here. It makes me wonder if we'll see, you know, not a Dave and Buster's arcade, but like a straight up like actual like arcade cabinets and everything else pinball machines lined well, up in a mall. they've got those two retro arcades i mean old is the new new and you know that trend comes back every so often and i i would imagine that we would probably start to see some more of that uh i think it's just a matter of time until you know there's enough stuff in them to make it worth going to because it's like when you've only got a couple vr things you know, that's not enough to hold enough people's attention to really get people churning through. But if you took out one of those big department stores and turned a whole lower floor into a big arcade area with drinks and stuff, and then you still have enough shops that are worth, you know, checking out, then you can do some shopping, drop your kids off, you know, or if you're somebody who wants to, you know, go there for yourself, not as a daycare service, you could pop in, you know, grab some food, grab a movie, go to the barcade, like you could turn it into like a full night. It's kind of hard to go to the mall and spend a lot of time without spending, you know, it at a movie 
or just in and out of different stores. This gives you a reason to stay there and potentially go and do some of that other activity too. Well, and the other it, thing I would bring up though, man, and something that I, if we are to get something like that in this Arizona area that is a, a larger arcade, what I've really enjoyed doing is going to places like Starfighters or The Grid or even out in Chicago going to Galloping Ghost Arcade and it's free play. It's like you put down 20 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever it is, and you can play as long as you want, do what you want, but they also sell things there. So, you know, you've got memorabilia, food, uh, drinks, whatever it may be located within that arcade itself. So to kind of sustain them financially. But the free play, I mean, I've gone to an arcade and paid 10, 15 bucks and spent maybe an hour, two hours playing games. That's worthwhile to me to go in and, and just play some games. I'm not going to sit there and hog a machine, but I get to try everything I want. And Honestly, that's been a, a fantastic experience. That's why I don't go to things like a Dave and Buster's or GameWorks or any of that nature. Just because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paying, what, You don't 20... want to pay that card. Yeah, I don't want to pay 20 bucks to play a game, you know, 10 games. Yeah. You know, and, and die easily. Like, I don't feel like dealing with the tokens and such. Well, and the thing that interested me a lot in this article is they mentioned the idea of bringing in esports and the growing popularity of esports. Now, I just finished up watching uh, last week the last Dota 2 Major of the Dota Pro Circuit Season 2, and it was awesome. It was a great tournament. Uh, we had a finals match-off to see who was going to secure that 12th place for the TI invite, and uh, it's coming up, TI. It's August 15th for anybody that hasn't watched it or isn't aware. It's actually really fun. Like I, I only ever played League, then I got into watching Dota, and I've watched it for the last four years ever since. Check it out. Support it. They got a price pool of $25 million this year. And they don't even mention Dota in this article. Of all the other esports they mentioned, they don't even mention Dota, which is the biggest. Its prize pools last year were almost double the next most popular esport, which I think is CSGO. It's, it's a huge industry, and I think that that is enough to get people together to start doing some more local lands and stuff. Cause that's one of the things is in this community, there's been a lot of talk recently about how these tier two teams are really starting to step up their game. And these tier one teams, like you see the real tip top people up there, but everything below that is just such a hustle for what, you know, rankings are, but EU and uh, China, those are the big, competitive pools there's not a whole lot of dota going on in the u.s you've got like evil geniuses that are the biggest name and there's uh you know players and other teams that are from the u.s but it is ripe it's really ripe i feel like if you were able to get some of this out there and you're able to put together these like land places in more public areas because i've seen them off to the side here or you know a little a uh, computer lounge place somewhere, but like to have it in a mall where the kids are already going to be, I think that you could actually start bringing up some more competition and really start to push this esports forward harder. We might have to invest in something, Ryan. Get out of the podcasting and maybe invest in some esports. We're too old for that. We're, we are too yeah, old. Yeah, if we if we had more money, we could be investors. But we're, we're too old. It's a young man's game. Young man's game. Okay. Um, well, speaking of opportunities and uh, esports, so really interesting EA articles. So we always hear like negative things about EA and um, you know all of their microtransactions and their uh, surprise mechanics and all this other fun stuff that they've got going on. But this article that we read recently is uh, by Christopher Dring. Is that correct on there? Yeah, Christopher Dring published on uh, it was Game Industry. Yeah, Games Industry. So. Basically, uh, to give a high-level overview of the article, it's discussing the EA Originals program, where they pretty much, uh, it's like a philanthropic... Uh, it was an interview with uh, EVP Matt Bilby. Yeah, so they're, uh, I think it's their executive of strategic partnerships? I don't know, whatever EVP stands for. Executive Vice President. Okay. Yeah, but I think it's uh, strategic partnerships or marketing is what he's in. Um, so... Basically, their EA Originals program is a way for them to fund different indie developers, and it's more of a philanthropic uh, initiative that EA has. And what it's basically describing in this article is how every single penny 
that these indie developers make. So EA basically publishes his, publishes the game for these developers, and the developer keeps every single penny of those you know of the, of the money for they make. Costs EA needs to recoup. Exactly. They're not so pro- they're trying not to profit off of it. Exactly. So it's kind of like a non-profit initiative. They're getting games out there. Their name is on it. It's an EA original. Um, but they're not taking any money in from that. So it's kind of a well, way to go ahead but it's it's basically the i think the title of the article is like we're not always a bad guy well that's the thing it's like i've i've heard enough now that i think i'm aware enough to gauge kind of what's going on here i get it they're trying to be good they're trying to help out these but for them to say that they're not making money off of this they spend half the article talking about the origin service and the subscription service that ea is trying to push and they're like oh well we could get all these indie developers on there you know we won't make any money off of the game well guess what they're making money off of their subscription service and that's what a lot of this article is talking about i'm not saying that they're not allowed to do that i'm just saying they shouldn't paint this like it's a charity. They're a company. They have shareholders. At the end of the day, making money is their number one goal. And they're not all bad guys, but, you know, they're not given handouts for well, free. And the interesting thing about that, too, and their service, I think it came down to, it said like $30 a year is what it came down to, is what they averaged. That's and what it says here, but, but that, that just sounds sound, unbelievable. Yeah, that sounds really low. And they said, yeah, somewhere around 80 games a year is what you can expect from these EA originals. That's great and all, but... At thirty bucks, uh, I mean, are they not taking any money from this? Is it just the the recognition and the EA original service? They actually uh, mention in there that a lot of old movie developers are coming back to like Netflix and such because of the Netflix original or originals type series, and that's what they're kind of honing in on. They're trying to get like that EA original, the indie developers, and get the names out there and pump out as they're many games as possible. They're trying to use it as branding. I mean, yeah. even though they're you know they are the publisher, so it's like they're you know it's their full thing to brand it as an ea game but that's the thing it's like you trust that a netflix original is going to be worth watching because stranger things was such a rabid success like it's that that icon iconography that they're trying to go for so instead of getting away from this big brother ea fifa loot box dominating force they're saying well if we make these smaller games we only have to get one really good one and then we can start pushing EA originals and then everybody will be like, oh, well, you know, EA made it and that was good. Well, yeah. And then I wonder what else happens with that, too. So you bring up like Stranger Things and like maybe one of these is good. Yeah. Ninety five percent of like the Netflix originals shows are mediocre. Suck. Yeah. They're not good. I just saw a movie the other day. I'm like, this is the worst movie I've seen ever. Yeah. And it's because they're letting anybody and everybody make movies. And it's, it kind of feels like they're going that route. Like we're going to let everybody and anybody make games we're going to just put up X amount of cost. We're going to allow you to, we're going to publish it for you and get your name out there, but you keep all the profits. But, but then they go back and say, well, we're going to offer these games on a service of EA originals and this, you know, nice game portal pretty much for 30 bucks a year. So where are they making any money? I, I just, I don't know. There's a lot of, it's I kind mean, of iffy. Still, it's shady in a yeah, way. Yeah, there's still stuff in there. It's it's definitely some level of corporate doublespeak. You know, you can't trust anything face-to-face. Like, he talks about how this, like the Netflix, will be able to bring back some other creators and be like, oh, well, now that the money's here and you can have all this creative control, and that's a lot like what we've been seeing in some of the kickstarters and the gofund or not gofundmes but uh any of those kickstarter games like uh keiji nafune uh koji igarashi and yu suzuki they made the mighty number nine bloodstained and shenmue coming out so those were you know old game publishers getting back into it through an alternate method of funding their games going away from a big publisher and mighty number nine wasn't really that big in scope and that game totally sucked. Mm-hmm. Everybody hated it. It was hugely panned. Bloodstained is doing really, really well despite what's going on with its Switch port, which, you know, if they fix that, that'll be wiped clean. But then Shenmue, they took all that Kickstarter money, and then they also got uh, Deep Silver backing them, and then they got... Um, who else jumped in with them? Somebody- well, now it's like exclusive to one of the stores. I forget which store it is. Well, is it- yeah, somebody else backed them. Yeah. And then they got the Epic Store exclusive. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you saw, but 
Epic actually is going to be funding all of the refunds that they said that they weren't going to give because they were like, well, we're not going to give refunds to people who bought this, who kickstarted and pledged because they thought that they would be getting a steam key and we're not giving out steam keys now. So Epic store who gave them all this money and then is actually going to turn around and refund the people who aren't happy now. That's, that's another thing. But anyways, back to my original point, we've seen how other methods have tried to work with bringing these people in and it's not that easy it's not that easy to just directly get the creators to get the money from the fans and give the fans the game they want because it it's just not quite there to do that so ea does have a point where you know you still need a publisher and if you need a publisher it might as well be somebody that's willing to cut you the best deal yeah, and I, one of the guys that's on there at the interview say that they were absolutely shocked by the contract that they received from EA and that you're getting all the profit, you know, regardless of, of what happens. So, you know, they're publishing that, though. So I guess I'd have to look into a little more on what's the extent, though. So once it's published, what can that developer do? Can they put that out on Steam? Can they have physical copies contracted through a limited run games? Like, to what well, extent? Well, it says in here they're not trying to be a platform. Yeah, they're no, not I know trying they're not. to. They're not trying to stand in the way of anybody else. You know, they're still mentioned their lucrative ties with uh, Sony and Microsoft. Like, even though they have the Origin platform, they're not trying to compete. They're just trying to make their own little bit on the side. Well, I'm talking about the actual developers though that are getting published on these games. Like, to what extent are I don't they think able it's to? Any kind of co exclusivity to it? It didn't sound like it, but I also don't know who's paying for the advertising. Exactly. So it's, you know, okay, well, we'll publish it for you, but you got to advertise it on your own. You have all these other costs that you have to deal with. Or are they advertise for them? How much of that ad revenue do they want to get back? Like if they, if EA pushes a $4 million ad campaign for the game, do they take $4 million of however much that game makes, like who determines all that. And that's definitely between them. That's not something we're ever really going to know about, but it is something else to think about when they say they're giving all this stuff away. I just don't trust it. And it might be biased, especially if the article's talking about, we're not the bad guys. Well, nothing makes you seem more guilty than when you're having all these fingers pointed to you and then you put out a, piece like this about how you're not really the bad guy and all that bad stuff that you did to affect millions and millions of people who play all these giant triple a games and you're like well if we just make these little indie games that are inoffensive and you know only a, a few hundred thousand people will ever wind up playing them well and also consider this too you know the whole advertising thing is a great point so if they said well we're going to back you with x amount of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars of advertising but you're going to pay that back to us what if they're not making enough money from those games? Now yeah. does EA come in and say, hey, look, we know that you're not making a lot of money off this, but let us buy this game off you, and then you can go ahead, go go away with the profits or from selling it. Or just buy the studio. Yeah, or buy the studio. So, okay, well, it's kind of, in a sense, their own minor league of video games. Like, yeah. let's go ahead and bring all these people and we'll publish your games when they can't do anything or if they're not making enough money because, well, maybe we didn't advertise enough for them. Maybe we did the wrong advertising. We can go out and acquire a whole bunch of studios, develop some games, and then lay them all off after the game is done, which happens to be a habit of theirs. So um, it's interesting, but it's also just it's shady, just the whole thing. Uh, into some more positive news, though. So I shared this article with you. It's an opinion piece that was placed on Forbes uh, by Dave Thier, I think. Dude, my eyesight's terrible. I can't see our uh, yeah our thing from here. So yeah, basically, uh, Dave talks about how Sony appears to be going in a route of Nintendo. And so if you look at previous generations, it's always been at least a Sony and Microsoft hardware, hardware, hardware. Who has the best graphics? Who has the faster processors? You know, um, with Nintendo, it's just been like, hey, we've got Mario games. We have Star Fox. We have uh, Pokemon. All of these different titles, they're always pushing out core titles. And the software has always been kind of, it's not an afterthought, but it's not the primary selling component of their systems. It's always, we're going to push out the software. So what's interesting is he points out that Microsoft is going the route of hardware. They're going through with their cloud streaming service. They're announcing all these crazy cool things for Project Scarlet, whereas 
Sony, yes, they're going to ramp it up with some crazy hardware. But in recent years, they've had a very heavy focus on AAA titles that are selling really well. Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, the new Spider-Man game. Uh, you have Last of Us, Uncharted. All these great games have come out in the last decade that have been phenomenal. And they're going to continue pumping that out. So me as a, as a gamer, one of the reasons I've always stuck with Sony since really to PlayStation 1 is it's always had, in my opinion, the better graphics uh, for games. It's always had top-notch hardware. But at the same time, I know I'm getting good games at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I'm frequently getting good games. Ever since the PS1 and PS2, I, I've always had exclusives that I've been able to play, uh, games that I'm not going to play on any other console, obviously, top-tier games, more RPGs than a console like Xbox, more RPGs than a you know a Nintendo console. It's just always been the gaming console for me, and they're just going to, I think, prove it with the uh, PS5, or codename for us, PS5, when that's released. Yeah, I think that they have something else that Nintendo has too, and that's a long history that they could reach back to and pull on all that nostalgia. Because I know that most of them weren't really first party, but... You know, there was a big push for this mascot generation back in the day. And I know that, you know, Crash and Spyro, those are already revamped and released on all the different platforms. So those aren't really exclusive killer apps anymore. But there are still things like Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank had a new game and a movie a few years ago. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that they still have in their back pocket that they can reach in and pull out and say, hey, you know, we've got more of this thing that you used to love here, and you just don't have that with anything but uh, Master Chief and Halo on Xbox. There's just really nothing that pulls me back to an Xbox besides thinking about Halo. Exactly. And I've got such a long history of PlayStation things, and that's what Nintendo always relies on. I mean, I don't think that PlayStation could do it the same. I know there's a bunch of God of War games now. There's like probably seven if you count the PSP games that well, came out. You've got Kratos. You've got Nathan Drake. Um, well, yeah, you've obviously got Ratchet and those, Clank. None of those are ever going to be Mario or Zelda. Like, how many fucking Mario games are there? How many Zelda games are there? Like, you're never going to be playing... Like, I hope that we're not going to be playing, like, God of War 9. Like, I'd like some more originality out of that. And I think that the scope that Sony's willing to go into with these big, in-depth, you know, massively interesting worlds that they're creating in these single-player games, and I love that focus of theirs, but I just think that trying to do what Nintendo does is a good idea relying on first party games, but I don't think that they can do what Nintendo does in resting on their loyals laurels and relying on the same faces and franchises to run indefinitely. They well, need so, to get new blood in. Well, so they don't, and that's the cool thing about it. And one of the things I've always loved about Sony, now they are going back and redoing games and having remasters and such, and they're bringing back some of those nostalgic people or characters from you know previous titles back in the day of PS1, PS2. But if you look at um, God of War, right? The newest God of War on PS4, I, I don't want to say it's the last one, but they went a totally different direction. They gave it a fresh facelift, yeah, right? Yeah. The Uncharted series, it ended with Uncharted 4. There's not supposed to be any more Uncharted uh, games. And well, then they, they made ob- that side game. Yeah, yeah, they made the side game, but that was about it. Um, Ratchet & Clank, uh, I don't think it's had a release on PS4 outside of a remaster. So, Well, that's not a first-party Sony not, game anyway. But it's an exclusive. I mean, it's always been exclusive to that console. Now, Insomniac could take it and put it on another console, but um, I don't I don't think they would. Uh, Bloodborne is another one that is an exclusive IP. Uh, so, Well, they've already said that they're not going to make another Bloodborne. Well, I mean, they say that, but, you know, the money would be there. They would make hand over fist, you know, money on that. Yeah. So you do have a lot of... Sony. Sony knows when to stop is what I've learned uh, playing their games. Like, when they get to a certain point, they realize they're beating a dead horse, and they will open up into a new series. So that's why I'm excited for, you know, potentially Horizon Zero yeah, Dawn new, 2, yeah. you know, to come out at some point in the future. Like, Guerrilla Games Or Horizon is, Zero Afternoon. That, that is true. It could mid-morning. be. Mid-morning. Horizon mid-morning. Yeah, the there new we awakening. go. Um, yeah, I mean, it, Sony, as I said, they have a habit of stopping when they need to stop, and they have a habit of creating new titles and expanding on those new titles to the point where we enjoy it. 
and we love what they're going to release and we get excited and then they know exactly when it's like all right we're finished let's move on to the next project see i think that this is it's an interesting opinion and i like where it's going but i still think that uh psvr is sony's future i think that being the biggest gaming company that's already as invested as they are i still think that like i've mentioned before people would pony up for a thousand dollar ps5 psvr 2.0 bundle with whatever crazy cool controller they could make for that and a dualshock 5 launch it with a you know a really awesome killer vr game launch it with a really awesome launch lineup i think people would go for that hard and i think that once i get into this oculus quest business and really dive in to see what the first standalone all-in-one vr consoles like i think that'll give me some perspective on okay well what are they doing and then what are they going to be up against with what sony could first party push out because to my knowledge like oculus develops the hardware but they're contracting out for people to make games or, you know, they're trying to get exclusive titles. But I don't think any of that's first party. So if Sony's going to go first party VR and be the VR killer, I, I think it would be way, way more up the future alley than just trying to hook these, you know, first party exclusive titles that, you know, anybody could anybody could make that but not anybody can make the vr experience that sells the console yeah and with sony having as many titles as they have and that backing of you know games that they've released over the last you know 20 years um i think uh you know specializing within vr and really jumping into going all in on vr um even mixed reality down the road would be pretty beneficial for them mm-hmm. i mean they've, they've got everything said even like the vr games that they have out now are not bad um i'm just not willing to purchase the first gen vr i'm waiting for this personally myself to you know develop in the yeah into a wireless headset kind of like the oculus quest like you're talking about mm-hmm. i want vapa for sony when sony releases that that's when i'm jumping into vr and for then they I'll just finally get away from using the PS3 Move controllers. That's yes. the thing. It's kind of hobbled together right now. They need a gen to it up, and they've talked about it. And once they do, I think that's where Sony's going to stand up. And the thing is, like, we don't even know what's going on until Sony does uh, their next conference, since they weren't at E3. Yeah, I I don't know which one's next. It might be Tokyo Game Show? I think so. I don't know. We'll yeah. find out. Yeah, we'll find out. Um, so, anything else on Sony before we move into our... Uh our favorite superhero of the month? I think so. I think that we're good to go. So everybody, if you haven't heard Spider-Man just swing into theaters and people are saying that it's pretty good, but swinging in to uh, your Nintendo back in the year 1992. Super Nintendo, that is. Super Nintendo. We had Spider-Man and the X-Men in Arcade's Revenge. So... For those of you who don't know, Arcade is actually the name of a villain. This isn't an arcade port of a game. He is a Marvel supervillain. He's an evil genius hitman. He kills people with these elaborate traps in the, he calls them murder worlds or whatever. He leaves a trail of robots for you to find him. Yeah, apparently he loves leaving robots in construction sites. That's that's about all we got out of this game. And what I'm trying to figure out, why is there so much rebar exposed in these construction sites? Like, it is very poor construction. Uh, The unions... It's got to be, man. It was absolutely terrible to look at all the rebar popping up from different directions. So So dangerous for Spider-Man. We not only had a hard time actually playing this game, we had a hard time getting to play this game. Originally, we were planning on checking this out and this being our first Game Gear game that we were going to play. John's got three Game Gears and none of them are worth a damn. Well, I need to be recapped, unfortunately. One of them was, dude, one of them was working like just six months ago. So I, I got no idea. I'm lost for words. But we had uh, we had looked into that, and that didn't wind up. So we wound up playing it on Super Nintendo, and it Which, was. Which, by uh, the way, I've learned is the better way to play this game. After oh, I'm sm- sure. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. The Game Boy apparently was terrible. The Game Gear was worse, which is, we were going to play the worst one. Yeah. And then the uh, Genesis apparently is good, but the Super Nintendo, it's a lot crisper of graphics and color, and the controls are a lot more responsive. So thankfully, we played it on Super Nintendo. 
Yeah, and it was uh, it was really hard, and the graphics were okay. I mean, they weren't offensive to me. I thought his run cycle was funny because he's like he's like throwing everything into this run cycle, but that head is just on a pivot. It's just locked in place. He's not going anywhere, and uh, he the swinging sucks. You can't jump and swing. We kept trying to jump and swing. Well, and you can't like link your swings either, no. or either. Like, it just did not work out. Once we found out that you can actually you can hold up or down to let in or let out webbing, so that you can you know change the arc of your swing. That's about as much control as you realistically get in this game. It's well, not. It's not. And you can't target your uh, your actual attacks. Like when you're trying to throw web at an enemy or one of the many robots that have been left around. You can't just like diagonally throw up a, a web yeah. and hit it. You got to actually do a vertical jump or jump towards an enemy or run towards them to get you know you what just you need straight to do. line it's, shooting. Yeah, it absolutely terrible. Uh, unless you're obviously crawling on something, then you can straight line shoot the opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, so this was let's see, developed by uh, Software Creations. I think it's an LJN game too. Yeah, LJN Acclaim Entertainment. Uh, LJN did the Super NES and the Game Boy, and then Flying Edge did the Genesis and Game Gear. So I think it was... Shoutouts to uh, Jeff and Tim Fallen, the composers. I did like the music. The music was jamming. The music really reminded me of 90s Spider-Man. Had some of that kind of guitar going in there a little bit. Did you... uh on the wiki that I sent you regarding this whole game, did you see on there where it talked about how they stormed in on some of the developers and were going to like lay them all off because they weren't getting it done in time? I did not. Yeah, so that was actually uh, something that I was looking at in that article. You'll have to check it out. It's really interesting. Um, so let's actually jump into the overall reception of this game. So we obviously didn't like the Super Nintendo version too much, and neither did uh, EGM, Electronic <laughs> Games Monthly. No, yeah. EGM gave it a 6 out of 10... Uh... They like that you could play as multiple different characters eventually, but it really they did give it some criticism for being overly difficult. Uh, nobody had anything good to say about this game. GamePro said that the graphics are good, the controls are frustrating and imprecise. I totally agree with that. Uh, the first level is a nightmare. You have to run around this area and just touch all these different bombs trying to follow your spider sense. I have a huge, huge feeling that anybody that played this game as a kid probably played that first level enough now that, or then that they could probably still go back and solve it now because every time you get a game over, you got to do, you know, start at the beginning, you got to do this stupid maze of bombs well, every time. And it's it's not like there's three or four bombs and you got to locate 20. them and kill some enemies. No, it's 16. 20. 16 bombs, I thought. No, it's just 20. It says 20? Yeah, I looked up two terrible game facts. Those people who wrote those game facts, you know, Bless you for being the only two people who wrote game facts for this weird game, you know? And also to actually, I'm going to look it up. You keep talking. Uh, I, I didn't really have my, okay, so I'll keep talking about bombs. Uh, so yeah, 20 bombs in a level, and it's not like they're in a row or anything. You've got to pretty much go to the very top, uh, get one bomb. You got to get then go to the bottom, then go to a secondary level. It's just, they're all over the place. And meanwhile, you have this buzzing spider sense coming up on the screen that's annoying as hell, will not shut up when you get closer, and pointing you in different arrows that if you turn left, it shoots the arrow up. If you turn right, it's going down. I'm like, what the hell's going on? The arrow's just going in every single different direction possible. Did you find the, the articles here or game facts? No, I, I'm not going to look those up because I didn't think those were very good. But I do want to give a shout out to Aaron Monroe, uh, we'll we'll share his video that we watched. We didn't watch the whole thing, but he does a uh, a run of this game, a no death run of this game, in 49 minutes. And I'm pretty sure he's the actual Spider Man because we were talking while we were playing the game. I think that if you are Spider Man, you have to be the best at every Spider Man game. So this guy might be the real Spider Man. He's got 174k subscribers on YouTube, so he's doing something right. Well, I mean, you brought it up too. Um watching him i felt like we got better oh yeah i f instantly feel like because before i was like i just want to like mega man x wall jump up these walls and i can't spider-man has the weirdest like hugging the wall animation you know where he's like all on his his tiptoes and his fingertips uh, the animation was good like i said you know this 
sprite character looks like it looks like Spider-Man clinging to a wall. It's a pretty good depiction, but moving up and down that wall is so slow. It's ah, actually pain. I actually didn't mind that so much. Jumping from wall to wall and sticking, it actually was not as bad as I felt it could be. Well, I was you actually... can't stick to anything except for a flat wall, and it can't be a dirt wall, and it can't be the side of a girder. Well, I mean that sounds about right. I mean Spider-Man doesn't stick to dirt walls. The whole point of Spider-Man is being able to move freely and i understand that it's a super nintendo game but it's like there had to be games that controlled better than this maybe it was and too i realistic. refuse to believe that that this was the best spider-man could do he can't jump and swing that's well, his whole shtick this is if i could walk there spider-man i'll do it look the title is not amazing spider-man that's or ultimate spider-man it's just spider-man it's just regular spider-man it's just regular spider-man so can i get a cab there spider-man <laughs> or a bagel I did see that movie finally. Oh, yeah. Good movie. It was a good movie. Um, all right. Let's get down to the nitty gritty, man. What is it priced at? So Spider-Man and X-Men in Arcade's Revenge. Uh, it goes for seven fifty one, and that's trending down since... Uh, no, no, no. That's trending up. Oh, no. You said it was five fifty seven. No, oh, is that the one? Okay. Yeah. You, you didn't change it then. I didn't have to because we talked. Look, it says 194 up. Look at the next line down, line three. Oh, okay. Guy can't even read our damn grid. Well, no, you didn't take the down out there. So, anyway, it says up. So, it's up since last December, $1.94. So, that's doing pretty good. So, if you're looking to add this to your collection, you know, it's. It's not worth it. It's, but... not, it's really not worth it. But if you absolutely must, you know, it's kind of on its way up it's a little decline right now but it looks like it'll probably go back up a little bit you're better off buying it like right now as soon as you hear this podcast before that turns around because you oh, know yeah. how we swing the market exactly uh what's complete in box going for right complete now complete in box we're going 2776 and that's up like 726 since last november this went way up it's starting to turn a little bit right now but it's still doing better and the funny thing is, like I said, I looked up some of this stuff before I got here, and the person that I feel the worst for is some guy in uh, March 2018 bought a complete in-box Game Gear copy for $250. You should see that chart. Go to price charting and look up this game for Game Gear. He so is the that scale through the roof was that new or was that just complete in box it said complete in box authenticated i don't know why it was under the complete in box tab but maybe, that's where it was maybe it was new and was graded potentially either way the guy's an idiot yeah either way the guy bucks. bought yeah the most ridiculous unless unless arcade is your favorite marvel villain and you're upset that he's never going to be in any other media Dude, ever? I didn't, I didn't know Arcade existed until we started playing it. Until I looked up the title this morning to verify we were yeah. playing I had no idea there was an Arcade villain. So if Arcade's your favorite and you bought this game for $250, you know what? I'm happy for you because that's the most media attention he's ever going to get. <laughs> and that's not very much considering we don't have many followers. Yeah, exactly. Subscribe. So uh, that's... That's it for this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge and this uh, episode 35 of the podcast. What are we playing next week, by the way? So we've got three of our Spider-Man games. We have uh, next Maximum week, Carnage. Yeah, next week I think we're going to do Maximum Carnage, right? Sure. All right, so we'll do Maximum Carnage next week. And that's on the Sega Genesis, by the way, not the Super Nintendo version. Yep. Which, dude, so... When we first talked about it, you had mentioned, oh, well, you know, why don't we look up some other games? And I found Maximum Carnage. I was like, oh, well, that'd be a good game for us to play. I haven't played it in years. Well, I was looking through all of my loose carts of um, Genesis because I thought, you know, okay, well, it's got to be in here. It's a red cart. Can't be hard to miss. I have the black cart and it's torn to hell. But I Wait, didn't... did you just get a red cart this time? So I bought the red cart online oh, and I got you... a complete okay, so you box. Need to take, you need to take the carts apart and put a red and a black one and fuse them together to look like Carnage. That actually is pretty badass. There we go. I might do that. Uh, but I did pick up the um, the red card and then disappointed to uh, find that I had a loose black card just kind of chilling out in the back of a drawer. And that just pissed me off. That was 30 bucks I could have spent towards something else. Oh, now your complexion or your... My complexion? It your... is wonderful, Ryan. I agree. <laughs> your collection is more complete. <laughs> 
now I have both colors. Now I have two maximum carnages. So, it's fantastic. Uh, and also next week, I'll give you guys a review or my opinion on uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. We'll bring in Spider Spider Month. So we might actually see that this weekend too. So I'll uh, I guess we'll both talk about it. We'll get our opinions on it. It'll be something different that we haven't done on the podcast. Yeah, we haven't really talked much about movies. We've both also recently seen Into the Spider Verse again. So we'll talk about that later this month too. Dude, we can't talk about it now. No, not now, John. We'll save right. it for later. All right, Ryan. Well, uh. I guess that's it for the episode today. You're disappointing me. Hey, dude. All right. Well, my name is John. I'm Ryan. And we are the, the Game, Game Deflators. Deflators. Cue the music, Ryan. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Don't cue the music, Ryan. So, it's been brought to our attention that you said homecoming several times, and I probably did too, yeah, leaning on times. you. I am so... We're, we're going to get so... Dude, we don't even have enough followers yet to have this type of uh you know an issue in our podcast okay, in my defense who who takes two movies and has the subtitle for the movie have home in both of them that'd be like star wars a new hope and star wars hope strikes back you know you bring up a very valid point okay so it's going to be far from home because he's going to be far from home uh, we'll still talk about Homecoming, though, just because I said it. We'll stick to that promise. I cannot believe it. You lured me in with that Homecoming. Did I say Homecoming? I said Homecoming, too. Damn it, Ryan. You see what you've done? All right, well, now cue to music. We're the Game Deflators. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches seeds just like guys look out. Here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big bang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find a Spider-Man.